0: open up the book, the word and uh, we're going to listen to what God has in store for us today. Before I do that, I want to, again, we have a packed house today and we have a lot of new people. I don't want to pass on without asking who's here for the first time. Don't be shy, it's okay. There's always a lot of new people, so welcome. Um, If you're passing by Lisbon, we are very happy that you can join us today uh, and we could have worship together as a global family of God. But if you're staying in Lisbon and if you want to know more about the church and want to be a part of this church family, please check in at the information center. Uh, It's right at the entrance of the hallway. Uh, We have different communication channels. Uh, We have weekly life groups and we want to be a part of your life. And we we want us to be part in your life as well. We just don't want to be attenders on a Sunday morning. Also, if you have children here, we have children's school going on right now uh, outside the auditorium, and they would love to take your kids and teach them the Word of God. Uh, And if you're wondering, people who have been coming here, why is Dina here again on a back-to-back Sunday? Um, Don't worry, your lead pastors will be back. They're taking a short break. They're visiting their family uh, in Switzerland, and they're playing in the snow. While we are uh, working really hard. Um, and the first time for Sky to be in the snow. So it looks like, because Gabby was wondering if she's gonna like the snow or not. Looks like she's loving it and having a time of her life. Um, be praying for their safe return to Portugal. I think they're coming back this week, and I think Ruben's preaching next Sunday too. So they will be back as soon as possible. So until then, you gotta put up with me, okay? <laughs> Um, so this last month we studied through the sermon series um, called Vision, and we where we set the foundation for our church community and what and how we envision our community to live in 2024, to extend God's kingdom, to equip each other with the Word of God, and to partner with each other in the God's community. As we envision this way forward, there's a lot of rebuilding that needs to happen in our lives and also in the life of church. I worked in construction before. Um, building a new project is actually easy, in a sense. It's fun. You have a f- plain plot. You know exactly what needs to happen. You have a design. But rebuilding something or renovating something or something is already there and it's broken down, now you have to take the old prints from 1980 and see how they did architecture, how they did the structural engineering, and try to rebuild it. So much work. And it's so much pain. and. As we come to the family of God, we come from different cultures, we come from different set of beliefs, we come from different um, growing ups, some more grew up in a church family, some grew up outside the church, and even church family, I'm not saying they are the best, everyone have a different way of growing up. And then we come together as a church, now we have to rebuild, we have to change, we have to renovate things in our life, something what was broken that needs change, and God is bringing change so he can make us more like Christ, right? So for us to go on the vision of extending God's kingdom or equipping people or and, and partnering with others, God has to work in our lives first. God has to rebuild what is broken in our lives. And um, coming off from last Sunday, uh, I was so motivated. Um, uh, I was so motivated by my own sermon. It doesn't happen very much. Um, so usually on Mondays, uh, pastors we we take a break in a sense of we take take it slow because we have a long day on a Sunday. So we but this last week Monday I was on fire. I'm already thinking about the sermon. I'm already preparing and I'm already calling people, catching up on stuff, organizing my calendar. I went to the gym. I didn't work out, but just go like <laughs> to see the new gym so I can work out the week after. But still, that's a progress for me to go there, step in. And it's a fabulous beginning of the week until it's not. Until it's not. And then I got a call from a family and something happened with my friends. Something got delayed. One thing led to the other and I'm here on a Tuesday afternoon sitting all mad. I'm like, what is happening? I had a good start. I, I thought I'm getting ahead of my things. And now... I." I I couldn't partner with people. I couldn't. I couldn't uh, um, happily encourage people. I couldn't happily extend God's kingdom because I'm I'm frustrated with what's happening in my life. Frustrated with what's happening around me. And you go into this cycle of discouragement when this happens, man. This rebuilding my life according to God's word, according to the the image of Christ, seems really hard, isn't it? And just When you think you get hold of it, I know what needs to be done, I have a strategy, and then everything goes full. So this morning, we are gonna study about something about rebuilding, how to rebuild. And can someone say which book talks a lot about rebuilding? Nehemiah, I hear a lot of ladies saying because they just read the book of Nehemiah in their ladies' group. So we are gonna start about, okay, they deserve a clap, go for it today. Okay. That should be a motivation for the men to read the Bible, guys. Um, we're going to talk about rebuilding from the book of Nehemiah. So, um, I want to I want to address something before we go in. When we look at Old Testament literature, when we go to Old Testament books, it's very important for us to know where the place of that story in the whole redemption history. Right? God created. All the way now, we are in the New Testament believer's life. We are waiting for God's kingdom to come. So that's a story of redemption. And we need to see where this particular story is in the story, right? And we got to be careful taking applications out of it. Sometimes it's like, oh, it's about the leadership. Nehemiah is a good leader. He has to uh, delegate work to other people. These are good stuff. I'm not saying these are bad. But we need to understand what's the more deeper message of that book yeah so from this story we're gonna we're gonna start a, study three things when we do rebuilding where to begin what to expect and what is our hope if you write, if you like taking notes where to begin what to expect what is our hope let's open up the scriptures to nehemiah chapter 1 verse 1 i'm gonna ask Jode to read from the screen please the
1: words of nehemiah son of hakaliah In the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province and are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire." When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven.
0: Amen. So let's pause the story here before uh, we continue. We're going to continue. And and I want to give you some background of what's happening here so you know what the story is. So back in the days of David and Solomon, uh, the kingdom was together. There was one kingdom of Israel and Judah together. And then after Solomon... They broke. So the northern kingdom was 10 tribes of Israel. The southern kingdom is called Judah, right? So due to their idolatry and sins, the northern kingdom first fell into the hands of a kingdom called Assyria. Okay? A lot of history, but it it, it, it it will be useful. The southern kingdom all follow the same path of idolatry, same path of sinning against God. So there's another kingdom comes, and takes the southern kingdom as well, which is the kingdom of Babylon, right? So now the story happens, and, and, and if you remember, uh, Ezekiel, Daniel, those are the people who were s- taken from Judah, and they went, uh, they were in Babylon. Uh, and, and one of the strategies in those days of warfare is that when they capture one of these countries, they take all the leaders, they take all the noblemen, they take the priests, they take all the smart people who can lead others, and they bring him back to their own land, because so they don't just stay there and start a own uh, revolt, and start to create fighting or something. So they they just take all the smart people away from them. So after that, the kingdom of Babylon fell into the Persians, right? And this is where uh, we we studied Daniel, Ezra, Esther back last year. And this is where God stirs up the king's heart in Persia to send some people back home. So about 50,000 people, the Jewish people who were living as exiles in Babylon, they go back to their own country. They go back to Jerusalem. Under the leadership of Zerubbabel. So if you wanna know, take the notes. There's three waves, people go one, under the leadership of Zerubbabel. After a few years, there's a second wave of people go down. Now it's under the leadership of Ezra, right? So Zerubbabel goes, His one aim is to build the temple of God. Ezra goes, he wants to teach the law to the people because they haven't heard the law because they are living in exiles. And then this is where we are in that story, in the redemption history. So a temple is built in Jerusalem. People know the law and people are worship is instituted again. But there are still some people living as exiles in Persia. Okay, you got it? You're following so far? Okay, so this is where uh, Nehemiah come across some people who were from from Judah and they are coming to Persia. So Nehemiah goes to them like, hey guys, how was it back home? Temple was built, everything was set, it should be fun, yeah? Everything was going well, right? And then he gets a report back saying, no, no, you have no idea. There's no wall in the city. The wall is broken down and the gates are burned. Which means in those days, if there's no wall, means there's no security. Which means there's no one can live there because they're open to all kinds of danger. So there's no commercial development happening in Jerusalem. There's no people living inside the city of Jerusalem. They're all living outside. And the verse says they are in great trouble and disgrace. The reason for disgrace is that this broken down pile of rubble and wall reminds them. Reminds everyone that how this people broke God's covenant. It's a reminder of their covenant curses coming on them because they broke and being disobedient to God. So they were living in the shameful situation, and they were um, and they were in great trouble because people are all around them. So, upon hearing this, so this is where the storyline, right? So Nehemiah hears this report back from home, and he goes, "What does he do?" he breaks down, he's crying and weeping for several days. So Nehemiah knows that ever since God brought his people out of Egypt so that they could worship him, he descended into the temple in Jerusalem so they can live among them. So God has intended his people to live in this land who love the Lord with all their heart and soul and might. And they were supposed to be a kingdom of priests. They're supposed to be a living demonstration of Yahweh's goodness. Living demonstration of God's glory. And they are these people who have to declare salvation to the world. But they are not doing that. And that's not what's happening at this time of the story. At this point, Jerusalem seems to be declaring that there's nothing to be gained worshipping God. That His promises did not come true because there's no restoration happened, and and this is very, um, it's very cool that Peter takes the the language of the the Exodus where they talked about the holy nation, and he says this in First Peter, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So Paul applies this Old Testament promises, Old Testament um, that, that belongs to Israel, and he's applying to the church today. So whatever is happening to Nehemiah's story, we look at our life, and we can say the same thing sometimes. You look at your life and say, that doesn't look like this. I, I don't know if I look like my life is declaring the praises of God. I'm still broken. My life is sometimes looked like a rubble. It says I've received mercy, but my life doesn't show that. I don't see progress. I don't see rebuilding in my life. So this is why it's very applicable for us to look at the story of Nehemiah and see that we have the same position as historically what they are having and we can look at our life and see it's hard sometimes. And I want to point out the most important thing for Nehemiah is that the attitude of how he's looking at the situation, right? When he heard this, he didn't say like, well, it is what it is what can I do, man? Like I'm in Persia. They are in Judah and like they are so far away and I don't know when God's promise is going to come. Maybe it will come. I don't know. I'll just do whatever I want to do. No, his heart was broken by the things that broke God's heart. In this time of history, God wants someone to rise up and rebuild the wall and rebuild the, live in the city and there was no one. Everyone thinks it's not my fault, fo- it's, it's, it's such a daunting task, it's impossible. I don't want to even touch that. So, Nehemiah was in Persia, and the people are afraid back home. So, he has all these worries, he has all these problems, he has his broken heart, he's crying, and with all these situations, he turns to one person the one person who is committed to the future of his people. And the one person who has the power to deal with all the troubles and shame of his people. He turns to Yahweh. He turns to God. Before he even went to the king of Persia and asked permission to go. Before he kneels down in front of king of Persia. He kneels down in front of king of heaven. Before you kneel anywhere. Before you find any situations, strategies outside. Are you kneeling in front of the king of heaven? Where do you turn when your heart is broken? Where do you turn when you're surrounded by trouble? Where do you turn when you're surrounded by anxieties and worries? What is your first aid response? What do you do first? Do you turn to your father in heaven? And let me say this. I've been in the boat too and I'm, I'm still struggling sometimes is that even when you pray, unconsciously, we, we sometimes think things will happen anyway. If something is supposed to happen, it has to happen. I don't know if my prayer is trying to like navigate something in my life. How do I know if my prayer is the one that would cause this? How do I know if my prayer actually changed something or not? And especially when people pray a couple times, and then in two days, if it didn't happen, probably it didn't work. And I want to. Ch- I want to say a couple things about this this idea, and I want to. I'm speaking to myself too. After Nehemiah mourned, and after Nehemiah cried, and after he fasted and prayed, and his prayer was not like, "Oh God, please help me," Amen. No, he was earnestly praying and crying for several days. It took him four months even before appearing in front of the king. So four months, he didn't even had a chance to see the king not even like ask permission and all that. He didn't even have a chance to see him. For four months, he was waiting. And in scriptures, there's always waiting. In our life, there's always waiting. For God to rebuild something, we have to wait. It doesn't happen overnight. Maybe some things happen overnight. I've heard some stories. God's provision. And the second thing I want to tell you is that God providentially allows prayer as a gateway for bringing His promises, as a gateway for bringing His will in people's life. And we can see that pattern also throughout the scripture. When Jesus teaches how to pray, He said, let your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Right? He didn't say, well, God's will is going to be done anyway. He's God, man. You don't have to pray that. He didn't say that. He asked you to pray that. He asks you to bring God's promises. He asks you to bring God's will. And you pray that has to happen in your life. Church, there will be a difference in growth, in maturity, in sanctification of people who seek God and of people who don't. You will definitely see it in long term. And i've seen I've seen growing up my parents, man, they pray every morning, five thirty, they take it overboard for me. I go there at, when I visit home five thirty, there's like two people there praying in the church because we live right in the church compound. I'm like, there's no one there, Daddy, don't use the mic, but he just uses the mic. He wants people walking down the street to hear him pray. and i can see the change in their life and i can see it didn't happen overnight i can tell you we went through so many different struggles i when i growing up i think like man these prayers are not working you got to do something about it no no now i look at my life i stand in their prayers now i look at where i was and where i am prayers work how did nehemiah pray I'm going to ask Jodie to read from the screen.
1: Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of of your servant. To hear the prayer your servant is praying before you, oh, before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins of We Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations." Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was a cupbearer to the king.
0: Thank you. So Nehemiah is coming to God, and um, it's, it's it's this this prayer can be another sermon. He is confessing the sins of his people, and is identifying himself with them. He's not in Judah. He's in Persia. He's not from the past generation but he's identifying himself with them he's not merely pointing to situations and saying god these things happening in my life because of this person because of this situation because of that my parents who didn't who didn't raise me right my ancestors or my life is ruined because of these situations that unfortunately happen in my life although that 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 is absolutely true i'm not going to deny the hardships that you went through, although the disobedience is the reason, disobedience of that people is the reason that you are struggling right now, Nehemiah is looking at himself in the mirror. He's saying, I'm no better than them. I need God's grace as much as they do. He's not saying, oh, it's because of the past generation I'm suffering. He's identifying with them. He's like, because of us, because of our disobedience, we are living as exiles. Would you bring us back, God? And He's and this is another beautiful thing. He's asking God what he's already promised to do. He's reminding God of his own promise that he made so long ago. He says, remember God, you commanded your servant Moses saying, if you aren't faithful, I will scatter you. But when you return to me and keep my commands... And do them, though you are outcast in the uttermost parts of the earth, I will gather them, bring them back to the place I have chosen to make my name known. And make my name dwell there. See, Nehemiah is showing us how to pray. He's not coming up with a list and like pressuring God, like, God, you got to do this. Come on, man. You're supposed to do it. Time is running out. No, prayer is asking God what he has promised. He's, you're bringing to God, like, God, you. this is your promise. What happened? Can I get grace? Because we are undeserving of grace, if you haven't figured that out. This last week, I received a phone call from a friend. Um, and, and, and she was, she called me and then she was bawling. Um, I'm like, what happened? And she goes, can you pray with me right now? I I, I, I tried calling my other people they, they, they couldn't pick up because it's late at night. Can you pray? I'm very anxious right now. I don't know. I thought these things are gone, now it's coming back. I, I, I couldn't think. I want to pray. So we prayed together. And I don't know I do not know honestly what are the things that's causing her pain. I do I do not know her deeply enough to know all the things. Even if I do, I don't know the solutions for what's happening in her life. But one thing I know, that this sister, she has a covenant with God. She is in the new covenant through the blood of Christ. And He, God is not going back on his promise. So I literally opened Romans 8. I said, I'm going to read this chapter, and I'm going to pray this chapter for your life. That's all I'm going to do, because I don't know what you need. So I, I, I especially church, if you're... If you want to hear, um, if you if you have uh, anxieties and panic attacks and all that, um, the one ch- passage that you need to memorize in your head is Romans 8, the last passage. That starts with, what shall we say to these things? Remember that, always. It's like a healing for everything. If God is for us, who is against us? If God who who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, would he not graciously give everything else that you need? And then if you are struggling with guilt, it says, who will bring any charge against whom God justifies? It is God who justifies. Who is then who will condemn you? No one. Man. This passage is so good. It goes at the end. It says, For I am convinced neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers nor height, depth, anything else in the creation will be able to separate us from the love of Christ in Christ Jesus. Pray the promises to God. Know who God is and know who you are in Christ. Don't forget you are a child of God. Don't forget you have access to go into God's presence boldly with God's promises for your life and ask God, God, I need you. Your promise is there. Now I'm going to change gears to summarize the story. So after the prayer, um, Nehemiah go to the king. Uh, and he says, "Can I, can I get some resources? Can I, can I go back to Judah?" And amazing turn of events, which is not very common for a cupbearer to go to the king and ask this boldly. And God opens the king's heart, and he lets Nehemiah to go. So Nehemiah goes there. Uh, very long story short, he builds the wall in fifty-two days. So the ball, the wall was built, in spite of. Um, in spite of a lot of opposition towards the project. So now picture the scene with me, church. You are looking at a pile of rubble, a heap of stones, rotted, some are burned, the wooden gates are burned, and it's a difficult work site. It's not an easy way to work there. And if you go through the chapters 2 to 6, the word labor... The word repair, the word work keeps repeating, repeating, and repeating. And the other, there's one other thing that's repeating a lot is that it says next to. Next to. It says this family is working next to that family. And that family is working next to that family. Their children are working next to their children. So you would see the different group of people from different parts of the society. And different economic classes, some are priests, some are farmers, some are nobles, uh, some are perfumers. They make perfume and they're building walls. I don't know if that wall would stand long. And they're all coming together to build the wall. And this reminds me, as New Testament believers, we look back at Nehemiah's time and see an unfolding picture of God's people. And how they are coming along together, it really a glimpse of into our own history. It's a glimpse of what is God is doing today. It's a glimpse of the church. How God rebuilds all of us into one building in a united way as one God's people, as a body of Christ. And this is a beautiful picture of God's people united together and we are rebuilding together. So that's the first thing to expect in the process of rebuilding is that you are not alone. You will not be alone, and you will not be alone. Ephesians say, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of this household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself of the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Back in the day that God lives in the temple, Jerusalem temple was so unique, it's because of that. In that part of redemptive history. We are not there anymore. God lives among us. God lives when we come together. When when we are built together becoming a holy temple of God so we can become the dwelling of His presence. So we can become what they were struggling to become. We can become the holy nation. We can become the place where God's glory is revealed for others. Place where people can come to you and see God working in your lives. So expect to be together when you're doing rebuilding. And the second thing, when you're doing rebuilding, expect opposition um, from outside. And when I say outside, it's not just outside people. It's it's within your sinful nature. It's outside as in the world. Outside as in the devil. Some people believe if it's God's will, there should be no obstruction. Right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go. I don't think it's God's will. There's so much trouble happening. Um, that's never a case in the Bible. They believe there should be no pain, opposition, trouble. You just pray and claim and you just keep going. Eesh. If you look at Nehemiah, you will see opposition every five verses. After to after to after. It's inside from his own people. From the people outside, they try to threaten him, they try to mock him. When when there was one verse that says, Is that the wall you are building? Even the fox goes, jumps around, and the wall will fall. You know, so they are discouraging, they are mocking them. And are they within God's will or not? They are. They are not outside God's will, they are working within God's will, but still they face setbacks, they face discouragement, they face mocking, failures. So be strong and ready to fight. And we see that from Genesis 3, there's a pattern when God said, I will put enmity between your offspring, the woman's offspring, and his, which is the devil. And when you look at the story of redemption, there's always devil tries to stop the redemptive plan. He will try to stop the rebuilding work in your life. He will try to stop the rebuilding work in our church. And Paul writes in Ephesians, you might have heard this word a lot, he said, finally be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. You know, that was back in the day when they were physically fighting. But now our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So expect opposition. Don't be surprised. There's a verse that says, why are you surprised when you get troubles? And finally, most importantly, this... Maybe expecting opposition might be something you don't want to hear, but this is something you want to hear. Your sanctification, your rebuilding of your life, God's kingdom being rebuilt, you will be fully restored. This process will be complete, 100%. There's no, as maybe we'll see, no, it will be complete. Your life will not be a pile of rubble. It will be rebuilt within God's will. It will be rebuilt one day. See, this is another thing. Um, I, I think I have the verse. Nehemiah says this. After I looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them, but remember the Lord who is great and awesome, but you fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. So he's saying, hey people, you do the work, you do the labor, you do the fighting, you, do, you prepare yourself Not because so you can gain favor from the God. Not because you're trying to impress God with all your good works. No, because you are already in God's favor. You are already in the covenant people of God. You are not becoming covenant people because you are building a wall. It's the other way around. You are building a wall because you are already a covenant people. You are building your life again. You are restoring what's broken in your life because God is fighting for you. Because God is saying, I will bring to completion what I have started. There's no question about it. In Timothy, in Philippians, um, Paul writes, is being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Church, your rebuilding will be complete one day. He will make sure you get it done. It does not depend on how much you put pressure on yourself. Because God will empower you. God will be with you in midst of your doubts, in midst of your struggles, in midst of your ups and downs, in midst of your failures, in midst of your repeated brokenness and sin that you are falling back into your addiction. He will be with you to walk you out of it. Because he who began the good work will carry on to completion. Do you believe that? See, that's a question today because sometimes we just don't really believe that. We can say that, but we, our life doesn't reflect that one day we will be complete. We don't believe that. We see our brokenness and, and addictions and things like, man, I can never change. It is what it is. When you have that attitude, you won't rebuild anything. You have to believe that God is going to bring completion. It doesn't depend on your work. It's because God is going to bring completion, I'm going to work hard because he's the responsible to bring, bring me home, I'm going to spar. I'm going to put my hands up high because I know this, this, this is ending in victory anyway. Yeah? And we are coming to an end here. And But the book of Nehemiah is not. I'm still in chapter 6. We have seven more chapters to go. But in the storyline of the book, you will see that Even though the temple was built, even though the worship was reinstituted, even though the walls were raised up for safety and life is developing again, it, it didn't restore Jerusalem to the original glory. People went back to sinning again. And people come back and confess again. They go back into the same cycle of leaving God And going back to their own desires and then coming back again. And the cycle of pain and suffering continues. And they they did not become a city that reflects God's glory. And when you look at the story, even Nehemiah is not the ideal leader. He's not someone I want to follow. There are some good things about him. But in general, if you read the whole book, I don't know. But I want to point out, Nehemiah, in the historical narration of the Old Testament is the last book of the narration. Malachi, in your book uh, Bible, it says, "But Malachi lived in the time of Ezra. Nehemiah goes after Ezra. So this is the last book of the Old Testament storyline. And there is so far no restoration. that Jeremiah promised, that Ezekiel promised, nothing like that is happening. But Nehemiah is bringing three different strands, three different, we call it rope. It's pulling from the Old Testament storyline. The three important turning points in the Old Testament is one, God calling Abraham and saying, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your seed. Through your seed, I'm going to bring salvation to everyone and your life will be a blessing. So that's happening right now. They become here. They are in the city but there's no way close to be a blessing. They are there, but not there. And the second point in the big story is when God gave the laws and sacrificial system and everything to Moses. These are all reinstituted again, but only to an extent. It wasn't completely done yet. They were still struggling with the laws and everything. And finally, the monarchy of David. That's another important thread from the Old Testament. Because God said a king from David's line will be seated on the throne. There's no, Zerubbabel is a, actually his lineage is a from David, but he's not a king. There were governors, they were supervisors, they were still under the rule of Persia. Later they go to the rule of Romans. But there is never, these threats are getting pulled in, but it wasn't complete until you turn the pages. You finish the Old Testament. And he turned back again. Few hundred years later, we turn to the pages of the New Testament and we find this ultimate seed of Abraham who is the ultimate fulfillment of law, who is the ultimate fulfillment of the sacrificial system that brings an end with his own sacrifice, who is the supreme priest to reconcile us back to God, who is the supreme temple who's dwelled among us and who is from the Davidic line and who is the king of kings is Jesus Christ himself. He brought the story that Nehemiah left. He tried to do some kind of restoration. God bless him and, and we are here because of that story. And But he was not the ideal person that we look up to. And I'm going to invite the worship team. Church, we are living in the times that Nehemiah was hoping to see. Nehemiah was saying, hopefully I can be around when there's ultimate restoration happens. Hopefully I can build the wall. Maybe that brings restoration to all the things that God has promised. Maybe that will bring the king. Maybe that will bring the temple sacrifice, an ultimate sacrifice. He didn't get to see that but we are living in that time. We have seen the ultimate restoration that begun in Jesus Christ. If you ask me what is my hope of rebuilding, why I keep trying, and I keep, you keep failing, but you keep trying, it's because it's Jesus. It's not my rebuilding process, it's not the hope is my strategies, it's be, my hope is not my hard work, my daily planning, Because it's Jesus himself who fights for me. He fought my fight at the cross and he reigned victorious when he rose from the dead again. And he's working with you today to rebuild your life. And he's working with you today to rebuild the church, rebuild God's kingdom, to extend God's kingdom. Now God is asking, would you labor for a God who fights for you? Would you work for a God who is fighting for you? He's the one leading everything. Would you just follow him? Church, when we know that he's fighting for us, we can see, we can join the psalmist and say, why are you downcast, my soul? Why are you disturbed when troubles arise? Put your hope in God. Because I will yet again praise Him. Because He is my Savior and He is my God. It says, I will yet again means, maybe I'm not praising Him right now because I'm in a failure, but yet again I'm going to praise Him. Because I'm going to rebuild what's broken right now. I will yet again praise Him. Let's pray. Father, we come to You this morning, God. God, thank you for the word that you have been speaking to us in the last month. Giving us inspiration and giving us pushing us towards becoming like you, Father. But God, sometimes our hearts not breaking for the things that your heart breaks. Sometimes we don't want to change. Sometimes we don't want to rebuild. We're just happy with the way we are. God, would you first change their attitude in us? Would you give us the heart that earns to be like you? Give us a heart that earns to be like my father. God, when we fail, when we can't do it, would you help us to come to you? Would you remind us to come to you our first aid. Not as a backup. Not as a last chance. <laughs> Let me just go to God. God help me. Help us like Nehemiah. Just go to you. Pour our heart out. God, when the oppositions arrive, when we think we are going in the right path and then something interruptions arise, our strategies are broken. Our plan is not getting done and we look back, we're already in the first week of Feb, we might not have done a lot that we planned to do God would you strengthen us this morning God would you strengthen us with your word, reminding us this fight is not ours this rebuilding work is not ours, it's yours you are the one who are making us to be like Christ Christ you are the one who is rebuilding us. You are the God that fights for us. You are the one who freely gave your life for us. God, let us just keep our eyes on you. We don't want to look at our failures. We don't want to look at our things happened yesterday, our sins. God, forgive us, cleanse our heart, and help us to focus on you. God, as we walk through this God, would you help us, church to walk together right next to each other? Just like this wall was built by people working next to each other. Help us to be a community that is being next to each other while we build this. God, give us the confidence. Give us the hope that is in Christ Jesus that nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in Jesus' name.